so stoic today. You were up late. Or maybe you've got plans for the weekend. Maybe you're going to... Well, hopefully if you're going to the beach, you've already gone. Uh, because you have to be back at work on, on Tuesday. But as we look today at prayer, the power of prayer, um, I don't consider myself a prayer warrior. There are some people that are very gifted in prayer. Uh, and I, I want to be careful not to use that as a cop-out because... If prayer is not your gift, that doesn't mean that you should pray any less. Uh, but there, there have been people in my ministry that God has put in place that are just amazing prayer warriors. Uh, I can't define it, but I can tell you it's real. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I remember in 2008, this little church in South Carolina had inquired of me uh, and they wanted me to come and uh, to interview and they wanted me to come and possibly be the pastor of the church. And long story short, I told them I wasn't interested, um, that I was perfectly happy where I, where I was in New Orleans. And um, as things began to evolve and emerge or whatnot, it became obvious that this was the plan that God had for me. And so, of course, we uh, transitioned or we made plans to transition to South Carolina. And I remember meeting with the pastor search committee uh, after I told them that I would be transitioning. I said, well, I can't give you a date uh, because the market in New Orleans is kind of is finicky right now. And I don't know that we're going to be able to sell, sell our house that quickly. And there was this little old lady uh, and her name was Marita Tarrant or is Marita Tarrant. And she had a bony little finger and she pointed at me and she said, Preacher, you will never have to list your house. God has it and you'll get an offer. And I thought, well, how quaint, how nice. <laughs> She's not the one that's going to have to stress out over, do I go with a real estate agent? Do I list it myself? How much do I list it for? How much money am I going to be able to, to get out of it? How much money am I going to have to be able to put down on a house in South Carolina? So as the story unfolds, this was in early or late March. Um, I'd say, well, actually, it was late. It was earlier than that. I would say mid-March or so in 2008. And so I preached on an Easter Sunday, and as I remember, and on Easter Monday, as I recollect, I get a phone call. Yes, I wanted to know if you would be interested in selling your house. I said. Is are, 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 you for, are you for real? I'm like, where did you, how do you, it's not even on the market. I'm not even listening. Well, I drove by the other day and I thought, you know, I would like to buy that house. Would you be interested in me buying your house? I went, yes. Uh, how much are you wanting for it? I named the price, done. <laughs> now, Lord, help my unbelief. It was that kind of moment. And when we transitioned, I remember that evening or the next day, I don't know at what point I did, I got that little bony finger lady's phone number. <laughs> and I called her, I said, Meredith, you will not believe what just happened. She goes, you got an offer on your house. I said, did you make the offer? <laughs> she says, I have been praying and God answers my prayers. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When that woman spoke in the church, she said, Pastor, I need you to pay attention to this. 
I need you to pay attention to that. I gave her full disclosure. You, listen, I told her, I said, anytime you feel the Spirit moving and you need to inform the pastor or something, listen, don't you wait. You come right, you come right on in. I, you, all, you have an open invitation to speak in my life. And let me tell you something. Over the five and a half years I was in South Carolina, that woman was and is incredible. There were many times I know that I was able to ride on her prayers. Because she, and here's the thing, there was nothing amazing about the prayers that she offered. She would pray publicly. I mean, they were prayers. It's not about eloquence. It's about the heart and where your heart is before God. There is no such thing as a prayer that goes unanswered. Every prayer always is answered. If you say, well, that's not true. I didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> getting what you want is not necessarily a sign of whether the prayer was answered or not. Prayers are always answered. They're just not always answered in the way that we would want them to go. Meredith Tarrant was and is a prayer warrior because she's cultivated in her life this idea of praying continually. In a constant state of prayer. Prayer, ladies and gentlemen, should be automatic. We're constantly in a state of praying to Him. Now, many years ago, uh, probably two decades ago, if that's many years ago, two decades ago, the convention came out with these little prayer pamphlets. That may have been longer than that, but two, uh, two decades ago is when I first came across it. And there were these little books, and they were white, and they were purple, and they were called the Acts of Prayer. And I remember as a, as a child at the time, a young, a young child at the time or a teenager at the time, going through, and, and gosh, it gets older every day. I, you know, 25 years ago used to be when I was a child. Now it's when I was a teenager. Um, and so uh, as I was looking through that book, our church went through it. And it's the Acts of Prayer, A-C-T-S. A stood for adoration. C stood for confession. T stood for thanksgiving. And S stood for supplication. Now, every, and it was this kind of the idea that every prayer or the prayers that we offer need to include these elements. Uh, it kind of led me to believe that that is the example of a perfect prayer. There's no such thing as a perfect prayer. What I would encourage you to do is pray as you can and not as you can't. In other words, do what comes natural. Don't use, when you think about praying, you don't need to use a big vocabulary, what I call 50-cent theological words. You just need to pray as you are. When you're angry about something that's happened, it's okay to pray in anger. When you're frustrated, it's okay to pray in frustration. When you're worried, it's okay to pray in your worry. When you're fearful, it's okay to pray as you fear. In other words, be authentic. I can assure you, God can handle it. He who has created us, who has known us, who has put us together who has formed us in our mother's womb, who knows us better than we know ourselves, he is far, far, far more capable of handling the prayers that we offer than oftentimes we are. Prayer is oxygen for the soul. So if you are not in a constant attitude and spirit of prayer, 
you're going to be deprived of the very thing that you and I need the most. I've said many times that prayer is the way we communicate with God, not that we're disclosing anything to Him because He already knows it, but what He wants is to see our willingness to come to Him. And I've compared it to, you know, if you're going to have a relationship with someone, and I've used this illustration before, if you're going to have a relationship with your spouse, or you're going to have a relationship with your parents or grandparents or your friends, the way you and I have a relationship with someone is that we communicate with them. Try dating without communicating. (laughs) You won't be going on many dates. And communication, now I know it's taken many forms, and today uh, if I go out to a restaurant this afternoon, I'm amazed at the couples that will sit across from each other, and some of you are also overwhelmed with this. They will sit there and they're communicating, but they're texting because they don't know how to talk to each other. Communication is not just texting. Communication is verbal. Communication is nonverbal. For instance, if I'm in a room and I'm like this, that is not very welcoming and opening to people. In fact, I had a worship leader one time that said, I don't like the way people look when they're worshiping. I've got somebody, you know, that said, so and so, and this was at a previous church, so and so is standing uh, and they're, they're standing here like this singing the song. You know, and this, you know, my, my disposition and the way I'm carrying myself doesn't na- naturally give off this idea that I'm open. But, you know, if I'm like this or if I'm at my posture of what I'm doing, it affects how people perceive me. And I want to ask you this morning, how is your posture before the Lord? And particularly when it comes to prayer. Do you and I, if we have to look at our prayers that we pray to God, if we have to categorize them, how many of our prayers are prayers about what we want? God, I want you to do this for me. I'd be willing to bet that a lot of them are like that. You know, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested, he said, not my will, but yours be done, referring to the Father. And guess whose will was done? The Father's. Because the Father's will was that Jesus would be persecuted, he would be tried, he would be convicted, he would be flogged, He would be crucified so that God could demonstrate for the entire world and the entire universe for all time that his love never loses. Jesus had perfect communion with the Father, perfect relationship with the Father. He always carried himself in a spirit of prayer. How do you know that? Look at his ministry. There's nowhere that he went that he did not impact People. He always looked at people not the way they were, but the way they could be. And I wonder in the life of the church, which, uh, you know, I'm glad, let me just say this as a pastor, not as a believer, but as a pastor, I'm glad that there's sin. Because, and, and some of you are going to run with it, why is he glad that there's sin? I'm glad that there's sin because without sin, I wouldn't be in business and I wouldn't have a job. Sin keeps me in business. And as long as the church is on this side of glory, we're going to struggle with what it means to be in right relationship with God. But I wonder 
if we would examine our lives, examine our texts, examine our emails, examine our conversations, examine our dispositions, examine how we carry ourselves, examine how we respond to people. Because if you and I were in a constant state of prayer, we might respond differently to people. One of the things, and I will say this, one of the things that I've tried to model, because you learn over time. The first church I tried and trialed and erred, and you learn, oh, maybe that's, I shouldn't do that in the next place. In the next place you do this, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that in the next place. The one thing that I have tried to model here, and so far it's working, is I don't perceive criticism as an attack of me. How many of us would thrive better in our world if we did not perceive that every criticism was not a criticism of our persona? But in fact, if people offered criticism in a constructive way and we leaned into it, we focused on it, and we as a body of Christ understood that love covers a multitude of sins, that the one thing that the Bible pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes time and time again is for you and me to have love for one another. Why? Because love always wins. It wins people. It wins relationships. Now, in my four years here, you know, because we're not a perfect church and we're, you know, we're sinners, there have been several times that people have come to my office or someone has barged into a meeting and they... And no, this has not happened this week. Nice try. Hasn't happened this week. And I can tell that they're aggravated or they're frustrated. And what I've noticed is in our culture, when we're frustrated at person A, we go to person B. No, 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 no. Go to person A. And if you and I, if you and I are in a constant state of prayer... And if we keep in mind that love is at the center of what we're doing, then we will not perceive everything in a negative light. Because the body of Christ, listen, we are as diverse as the stars. We can't even agree about political candidates, let alone 66 books of the Bible and all that those books inform us to live. There's multiple interpretations about what we need to do. But let me tell you this. Regardless of the interpretations, we all know that we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love the church. What we do, how we live, how we pray, it matters. Pray without ceasing. Don't automatically assume that people are out to get you. Because in these times of the local church... The biggest church in the world is Satan's. There are plenty of people pursuing ungodliness all day long. The fact that we have someone that's here on Sunday morning is an amazing testimony of God's providence and the fact he's not done. And so you and I, listen, if we're a team, 
We have to work together. We must serve together. We must not be divisive. We must not be contradictory. We must lean in and serve together despite our fallacies. I am not the perfect leader. You are not the perfect follower. This is not the perfect church. But we serve a perfect God who is commanding us to love each other. You want to change the world? Changing the world is not about going on Expedia and buying a ticket to go halfway around the world to share the gospel. You want to change the world? Begin by changing yourself. By being transformed in His likeness. By understanding that these spiritual disciplines, this spiritual giftedness is not something that's out there. It's something that's in here. We must get to the point that prayer is automatic. And we must recognize that prayer, ladies and gentlemen, has consequences. In 2004... And some of you know this story. I've told it on a Wednesday night. And I'm going to kind of spice it up a little bit today so that it's not as raw as it was on a Wednesday evening. I usually trial run things to find how well they're perceived. Uh, and so, uh, in 2004, I had a lady, our cook, who was having an illicit affair with someone that was attending church. Now, the person she was having an affair with was not a member of the church, but he had visited. And they had met uh, in, in group meetings or whatnot, and um, he makes an appointment in my office, and he comes in and he says to me, uh, after I found out about the affair and I confronted her about it, uh, he said, frankly, what we do is none of your business. And I said, frankly, what you do is not. I expect lost people to do, live lost lives, and you do that. But I will not have you pull one of my sheep out of the pasture and corrupt them. You've got a woman who is a believer. She's got her kids in the church, and you're not going to sit and fraternize in the middle of a worship service in my presence. Not going to happen. He was a pretty big man. And he says to me, do you have any idea who I am? And I said, young and naive, no. Well, I'm president of such and such union. Okay. I've made people far more influential than you disappear. And in Louisiana, I believe it. And so I said to him, I would be very careful threatening me. Who knows? I may preach your funeral. We left that meeting that day. He did not sit with that woman again in the service, but he showed up the next week and he was packing. And I've told you the story. I had a big, nice wooden pulpit like I do here. I was so grateful for it that Sunday. I had two Louisiana State troopers that escorted him out of the service. And who knows what could have been on news that night. I don't know. I don't know, if he was pl I don't know what he was planning. But I prayed privately. I said, God, I need you to remove this obstacle. And he died. Now, prayer has consequences. Do I believe that my prayer removed the obstacle? God, we are, bam, 
Some of you just woke up. Tuning in, thank you. <laughs> Do I believe that my prayer killed the man? No. But what God taught me through this spiritual lesson, Todd, be very careful about what you pray for. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're a pastor. It has everything to do with you are my child. Be careful with what you pray for. Prayer, prayer is the weapon of the spiritual life. Be careful how you and I unleash it. Be careful of offering prayers selfishly or flippantly. Consider the consequences of what you pray for. Consider the consequences, mom and dad, of praying too, too much for your child in the sense of praying away their options, praying for their future. Because let's say that this is your dream. Since we had graduation last week, some of you are like, I want my kid to go out and do something. Okay? <laughs> I want them to get a degree or go to a technical school. And some of you, listen, I don't know this, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of you, you know, if you're going to go to God's university, you're going to go to Duke. You know, we know that here. And, uh, but some of you are selfishly praying. <laughs> some of you are selfishly praying your child's future. You want them to go to UT. You want them to go to ETSU. Simply pray that God would disclose to your child, your son or your daughter, his plan. Don't pray the definitiveness of where they go or what they do. Because they may go to where they know that they're praying, that where you're praying for them, and they're going to go because they feel obligated to do so because you're stroking the check or they have a good relationship with you, and that ends up in disaster because of someone they meet. All because perhaps you prayed selfishly. Always pray for God's will to be done. It is absolutely the most difficult thing to utter. But it is paramount in every prayer that we offer. To be centered in His will. That we would automatically seek Him and seek His face in a constant state of praying, just as we have a constant state of breathing in and out, unconsciously we do it. So prayer needs to be for the soul. It's automatic. We're in a constant state of being in communication with the Father, recognizing the consequences of the things that we utter. And the other thing I would share with us today in closing is to pray with expectation. Don't pray as one who is doubting, but pray as one who confidently understands, believes, and knows that the God who has acted in human history is a God that's going to act in your history. That God is going to act in your life and in your story. And His will, as we continually say, if we look at Jeremiah 29 and 11, which is one of those cushion verses, but it's real. He has plans for you. Plans to prosper and not harm you. Plans to give you hope. Pray with expectation. 
One who is confident that God not only hears, but God answers the prayers that we utter. Pray confidently in faith. There's nothing more important in this season of life at First Baptist Church than to have a collective people praying expectantly for God. For God to move, perhaps shake the very foundations of who we are, the very foundation of our identity. And ladies and gentlemen, we have come so far. But we cannot rest in this moment and think, woohoo, we've done so great and coast for the foreseeable future. Now is the time for us to lean in, to pray more diligently, to seek His face. And if the very foundations of our being and our existence and our servitude and our calling and our answering and what it means to be the church in this community, if it needs to be shaken to its very foundations, then may His will be done. It is a great part, a great time to be a part of First Baptist Church today. Our past is not better than our future. No matter how great the past has been, it will never be greater than the future plans God has for His church. How do I know that? Look in His Word. The church is that which He gave His life for. The church has been a constant since its foundation. It is the kingdom of God in the world. And you and I as believers and followers and as his children have the opportunity to be in the front seat, the front row of what he's doing and how he's moving. This is the greatest generation to experience the church in its fullness. It's also the most tempting generation to walk away from the church completely. You and I have choices. We have prayers to offer, prayers to experience, and consequences as a result of what we utter. Our desire at First Baptist Church, as we go to the Lord in prayer, and as we seek Him individually and corporately, it's to surrender everything. First Baptist Church is only as strong as its weakest member. Think about that. It only takes one to cause calamity. But when the people of God are unified under God, seeking His will and purpose, praying diligently for God-sized opportunities, loving people regardless of circumstances, we will win. He will be triumphant. And people will come to Jesus in droves. I'm willing to bet that for many of us, our lack of fellowship of Christ is an excuse for someone else's not being a part of His kingdom. 
the witness that we've given off has dispelled the idea, gosh, if he serves Jesus and says he loves Jesus, but he treats me like this, or he says that, I don't want anything to do with the Jesus that is the object of his worship. For some of us, our prayer needs to be absolutely adoring the King of Kings, confessing our failure. We have all sinned. We have all messed up. We have all forsaken the church. We have all forsaken Christ. We have all messed up royally. But he's not finished with us. He's not finished with us. How do I know that? Simply this. When Jesus died on the cross and then took his body down off of that cross, they put him in the tomb. And a period of time passed and there were some ladies that came out to anoint his body with spices. They didn't have formaldehyde then, so the body would begin to decay and it would stink. So they would anoint his body with spices in the hopes that anybody around that area would be overwhelmed by the smell of the incense and the smell of the spices than the smell of the decaying body. But on the morning that they went, I can assure you they didn't smell anything because our Jesus did not die. Or should I say he did die, but he didn't stay that way. He became resurrected, empowered by God. He ascended. He was raised from the dead. And so when the rock was rolled away, and that rock was rolled away on that what we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, the rock was not rolled away to let Jesus out as much as it was rolled away to allow us in. And as he rolled that rock away, the Bible in some of the Gospels will allude to the fact that he laid his garments to the side. I've wondered many years, why would Scripture record that he laid his garments aside? That seems like an oddity. But then I thought about it, and it clicked one day. When you go to a nice restaurant... And a restaurant that has, and my definition of a nice restaurant is they have cloth napkins, okay? That's my definition. I know it's not much, but they have cloth napkins. <laughs> you go to a nice restaurant with a cloth napkin, and in the middle of your dinner, after your hors d'oeuvres, and after you have, you know, 16 glasses of iced tea, a little bell rings, and it says, you need to go. And so you get up from your seat and you go to the bathroom. But before you go to the bathroom, you will take your napkin and if you're trained properly, you will lay it across your chair. Why? Because it lets the server know that you're not finished and you're going to come back to finish your meal. So you lay your garment aside. Jesus, when he leaped out of that tomb. He laid his garment aside, and it is recorded in history. Why? Because he's not done. He's coming back, and he's going to finish what he started. And the beautiful part of it, ladies and gentlemen, is <laughs> we 
get to enjoy dining with the King for eternity. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Let it become as automatic as breathing is to you. Recognize what you pray for and whom you're praying to. Recognize that our prayers have consequences. But as you pray, as you adore the King of Kings, as you and I confess our sins, as we offer thanksgiving to a God who has worked in our story and has saved us oftentimes from ourselves, and as we offer supplication and we go to Him and we make our requests known before God, as we pour our hearts open to Him... Recognize and pray with extreme expectation that the God who calls the sun and the moon and the stars and suspended them in the space, the God who created us, as the psalmist says, a little lower than the angels, is a God who loves you is a God who's not finished with you and is a God that's coming back because he's not done. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we come into this time of invitation, this invitation is an invitation to surrender everything to you. Lord, we ask for a new outfit today. We don't want to just have a new top or a new bottom or a new tie or new ornaments. We want a complete transformation to happen in the heart and in the soul of us. That we might be a people that are constantly praying and pursuing God's will. And praying that we will be aligned to His purpose. That we will be a church that does not look to other churches and say, we need to do this because they're doing this. Or we need to do this because our convention is doing this. Or we need to do this because Southern Baptists do this. God, make us be about what you want and only what you want. Strip away everything that gets in the way of your will. Strip away everything that keeps people from experiencing the grace of of Jesus Christ. God, we offer our prayers, we offer our confession, and Lord, to this morning, as some of us might say, God, I just can't. God is saying, oh, yes, you can. God is not finished with us. This morning, if you're here and you're struggling, could it be that you've not surrendered This morning if you're here and you've uttered prayer after prayer after prayer and it doesn't seem to be getting through, it's not happening on your time schedule. Recognize in faith God's got it. It may not occur the way you imagined. It may not happen. It may not end up being happily ever after. But Lord... We know that you've got us in your hands. And you know our story far better than we could ever tell it. So in this invitation, may we respond as we surrender everything. If there's someone here and says, you know what, 
I don't know whether I want to be Southern Baptist. I just want to be a follower of Jesus. Amen to that. We want you to be a follower of Jesus. We want you to know him. We want you to be saved by him. We want you to understand that he has a calling on your life. If you would like to become an integral part of this church family, we would love to have you. We want you to flourish here amongst us as we prayerfully and confidently come to the Father with great expectations. He's got us. He's got us. We will not be confounded in time or eternity because the God who leads us is a God who will always lead us in victory as we love each other, as we share the grace of Jesus Christ with one another, and as we continue to answer our call and are on mission for Him. Father, receive our prayers. Hear our prayers. May we answer the call that you have on our lives to trust in you and to pursue you with all that we are. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to make a decision, whatever decision that might be, this is the invitation for you to come. As we sing, I surrender all, don't you dare sing a lie to God. If you're not surrendering all, don't you sing it. You keep silent. You just allow your spirit to work up towards those words. But my prayer for you is that there'll be a day, a time, and this time is in God's timing, that you'll be able to utter these words, I surrender all, and they won't just be a hope. They'll be a reality.